0: everybody, welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast. For more information on the vision, programs, and news of our church, be sure to check us out at www.newmarketalliance.ca. We'd like to encourage you as well that no podcast, no matter how good, can substitute for the experience of joining together in person at a worship celebration. That's where God really meets people, often through the love and ministry of others. At NAC, we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. Now let's join this week's teaching. Let me start with a a little trivia question, maybe a little trick question. Does anybody know what the largest organ in your body is? Very good. Oh, paramedic (laughs) cheaters. Uh, That's true. Skin. If you are an average adult, your skin covers about 21 square feet of your body. It, uh, it will weigh about 9 pounds, it contains more than 11 miles of blood vessels. Your skin holds your body together, It protects you from uh, various bacteria and viruses. In hot weather, you know, your skin will release as much as three gallons of sweat a day, unless you're me and it's about twice that much. <laughs> and, You know, most people think the only reason that we have fingerprints is so that the police can find us if we do something bad, but it's actually God designed them like little grips on the ends of our fingers. And your skin sheds 50,000 cells a minute. Globally, dead skin accounts for about a billion tons of dust in the atmosphere. Your skin is a very... Special creation by God. And one of the primary functions of your skin is to help you feel the world around you. There are at least five different types of receptors in skin that help us respond to uh, pain and touch. You know, some of you may have heard the horrible stories that came out of Romania during the Nicholas Ceausescu uh, communist era. This is like, this is in most of our lifetime. Um, he clamped down on psychology and social work and religion, of course. He, he, his preference was like a social engineering. And he established these institutions for orphans, uh, for children whose parents couldn't take care of them. And we would find out later that these babies, these toddlers, would be intentionally deprived of touch of affection, of hugs, of cuddles, as a sort of sick experiment. You know, some think that Ceausescu was trying to raise uh, sort of engineered soldiers with no attachments or bonding or or feelings that would distract them from their obedience to kind of being a stone-cold killer. Well, not surprisingly, um, there was an exponential crib rate death, a crib death rate. And, and those who survived were significantly delayed in motor functions and hand-eye coordination and speech delay, uh, significant antisocial behavior issues. You know, I know at least three couples at NAC who are expecting to be parents, and I know I'm stating the obvious here, but your children, they need to be held. They need to be embraced. They need to be hugged. Guys, um, be a hugging dad, okay? Uh, Your kids get to an age where they no longer think it's cool to be hugged. You know what? Hug them anyways. Um, Men sometimes get weird messages about hugging their sons. Dads, they need it. They need it. You know, just raise your hand. Uh, If you have ever been a, uh, a paramedic, uh, a teacher, come on now, uh, a doctor, a nurse, a uh, social worker, fireman, healthcare worker of any kind, um, police officer, funeral director, pastor. That's just the uh, scrape in the surface, uh, tip of the iceberg. I imagine that there were times where you folks were the first on the scene. Uh, to find people in crisis or in shock, you know, kids who are in in chaos, distraught people. And I'll bet you discovered that if you quietly sat beside them, if you offered the the gentle and generous gift of touch and you spoke to them and you made eye contact, there was like a calming effect because of the simple gift of touch. Of touch. I don't mean the inauthentic kind. You know, sometimes you ever get the impression the, like a waitress, you know, a little, a little touchy and they're like, will this get me a better tip? Or, you know, the salesperson who's just, I mean, an authentic touch, comforting, encouraging, appropriate touch. Something that I, I think we should be fostering in our lives. Now, would you just look at your hands? a moment, look at the front of your hands. Look at the, look at the back of your hands, and maybe it's been a while since you looked at them. Just get reacquainted with them for a minute. Um, look at the fingers and the knuckles. You know, hands tell a story. I think of my my grandpa Ganyu, and he had such distinctive uh, sausage like hands. You know, and they told a story. What if someone were to film a documentary just about your hands, maybe from the POV of your hands. And the film might begin showing an infant's tiny hand and it's wrapped around a mother's finger. And then maybe it skips ahead to hands holding on to a chair as a, as a toddler tries to steady itself or uh, holding a spoon, you know, trying to feed itself for the first time. And, and it wouldn't be that far into the movie before you see a hand showing affection, you know, reaching for... Daddy's cheek, or to to pet a dog. Um, And then maybe we'd see a little further on in the documentary a hand that exhibits some aggression, grabbing a toy from another kid, or pushing a, a baby brother down. Or very early, we learn that the same hand can either help or it can hurt, it can encourage or discourage, it can help someone up or it can push someone down. Uh, were we to show this documentary, chances are you 'd be very proud of some moments you know, maybe the moment you you put a ring on a finger, um, the moment you uh, helped doctor a wound, um, times where you folded your hands in prayer, wiped the brow of someone in a hospital bed. I bet you though there 'd be moments where you weren 't so proud, moments where your hands were accusing and Um, more taking than giving, maybe violent even. Times they were unbridled and unmanaged like our tongue can be. Times where our hands contribute to destruction. But you know, you let these hands be submitted to God himself and these hands, they become like the hands of, of Jesus. Hands that are surrendered to him so that when when we touch, it's like he is touching. And when we encourage, it's like he's encouraging. We're going to have a prayer team meet after every service. And they may ask if they can lay hands on you. And there's something powerful about that. Why does the Bible say to lay hands? It's as though, it's as though the very hands of Jesus are being used to minister and to heal um, we'll see maybe in this documentary about another pair of hands, nail-scarred hands. And in those hands of Jesus, we wouldn't see abuse. We wouldn't see slaps. We wouldn't see greedy clutching. We'd see just one warm and generous occasion after another where the hands of Christ were laid on infants and People were brought to Jesus, parents coming for encouragement, and each one of them were, were touched and were changed. You know, uh, there's a great story of an unclean man. If you have your Bibles, just turn to Luke 5, 12 to 15. Here's what it said, and Mike set it up so beautifully. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy, And when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him And to be healed of their sicknesses. You know, right at the beginning of the story, we're told it's a man who came along who was covered with leprosy. You know, some translations say a man who was full of leprosy. He doesn't just have leprosy, okay? He's full of leprosy. And I don't know if you've had the opportunity to see what that looks like, but it's pretty horrific. So I'm just going to quickly put on some pictures of modern day leprosy, and I just want to warn you, it's a little unsettling, but here's what it looks like. If, if it's untreated, those who have leprosy can expect to live only 10 years about. It usually starts with a feeling of, of fatigue and pain in the joints as these scaly spots develop on your skin, and the body becomes covered with lumps and, and filled with pus, and it renders the body just a mass of ulcers and decay. You know fingers kind of curl and gnarl, blotches of skin uh, begin to discolor and stink, and certain types of leprosy would um, would numb your nerve endings. It, it leads to the losses of your whole hands or, or feet. Sometimes your face changes its form to kind of grotesquely uh, different shapes. Growths develop on the vocal cords so that your voice becomes raspy. The body begins to literally decompose. And so there's a, a, a stench associated with you. I mean, can you imagine? No one would want to be around, certainly not touch these people. And one of the worst effects, I think, of leprosy is that it deprives the victim of being able to feel what they touch. It attacks the nervous system. It, it compromises the body's ability to actually feel pain. And maybe you're thinking, not feel pain, like that actually sounds pretty good. No, it's not. Phil bianci in his work with the late Dr. Paul Brand, he, he wrote extensively about this. He actually called it the gift of pain. And that could be a whole sermon series unto itself. But this is um, your body warning you as a gift that something isn't how it ought to be. Uh, so, the leper, you know, might step on a stone or a thorn and injure their foot, totally unaware that there's a problem. And it gets infected, and eventually the injured foot might just fall off. Or the leper might try to wash his face in scalding water, not realizing it and blind themselves, or or reach into some coals and pick up a potato and and not realize that he's actually been burned. Pain can be a gift. So, Mark and Matthew and Luke all tell the same story of this leper, but with apologies to all three writers, none of them really tell us enough. Um, We don't know his name, we don't know, I mean, we know his disease, but we don't really know his backstory. Um, We are left with questions about how we got to that point, so... Today, with the help of the words of of Max Lucado, uh, an author that you may have heard of, let's just kind of use our God-given imagination and hypothesize a bit of what this man was going through. So just just put yourself in this man's sandals for a minute. What brought him to this point of desperation that he's crying at the side of the road? "Uh, Lord, Master, please heal me. And I wonder if his story went something like this. <clears throat> For five years, no one touched me, not my wife, not my child, not my friends. They saw me, they spoke to me. I saw concern in their eyes, but I didn't feel their touch. There was no touch, not once. What is common to you, I coveted. Handshakes, warm embraces, a tap on the shoulder, a kiss on the lips. Ah, oh, Such moments were taken from my world. No one touched me. No one even bumped into me. What I would have given to be bumped into, to be caught in a crowd where my shoulder could brush up against another's. But for five years, it has not happened. How could it? I was not even allowed on the street. Even the rabbis kept their distance from me. I was not permitted in my synagogue, not welcome in my own house. I was untouchable. I was a leper, and no one had touched me until today. You know, this is one of the first uh, recorded healings of Jesus. And who does he heal? A leper. One considered untouchable. You heard what leprosy does to your physical body. Imagine what it, the social consequences of that. You know, you may remember the story of the, of the bleeding woman who touched Jesus. And as devastating as that affliction likely was physically, Um, you know what would have been obvious to a first century reader of that story? Was how that woman would have been totally cut off from her community. She was not merely unwell. She was, she was what? Unclean, right? Couldn't go to uh, the synagogue. Uh, She was not an insider. She was an outsider, alone. Because the Old Testament law would have forbade this bleeding woman from contact. And, and for this contagious man, the law imposed quarantine. They were forbidden to enter the temple, uh, forbidden to have contact with their loved ones, commanded to shout, unclean, unclean, whenever they were within earshot of people. Sometimes they were banished to a leper colony. They were not to touch or be touched by anyone. To touch a leper was to expose yourself to uncleanliness. And throughout scripture, the leper is, I think, representative, symbolic of the ultimate outcast. He stands for a person in any nation, any era, who has been kicked out or turned away. So we see in verse 12, when, Jesus, when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Wait, he doesn't say, Lord, if you will, you can heal me? That's what I'd say. He says, Lord, make me what? Clean. Make me clean. Now check this out. There's something deeper going on here. We're at the turning point of history, where Jesus is making the old new, where the law is becoming summarized really with one word, love. And the Messiah has come, and the old has passed away. Behold, I am making all things new. Amen. Because the old way, here's what the old way says. It's the unclean that makes the clean unclean. Let me say that again. It's the unclean that makes the clean unclean. You touched a dead body, well, you were clean before, but now you're unclean. You accidentally had a McRib for lunch. You were clean before, but now you're unclean. You're bleeding, you have a rash, you've got eczema. You're unclean because the unclean thing makes the clean person clean. Are you with me? Now check this out. Here comes Jesus showing something I think is so beautiful, that it's now the clean that makes the unclean clean. You with me? The clean makes the unclean clean. The perfect, sinless, spotless Savior touches the unclean and they become clean. Oh, thank you, Jesus. He touches a broken, sinful, spiteful, prideful punk like yours truly. And he makes me clean, holy in his sight, a child of the king. Uh, That's the new way. That's the Jesus way. The clean now makes the unclean clean. And maybe that's why this is one of Jesus' first healings, because this man was unclean, because this man was the outcast. He's indicative of the very type of person that Jesus had come to heal, one who who couldn't even hide their brokenness. He couldn't hide his sickness from the crowds. Their sickness actually defined him, right? I wonder how many of you who are suffering Long-term illness or grief, sometimes you feel if, if you're defined by that, as if that's all you're known for. You know, emblazoned in the memory of every leper, I think would be the day that they discovered the truth about their condition. So back to our story. One afternoon, I plunged my hands into a basin of water, intending to wash my face and the water reddened. My finger was bleeding. I didn't even know I was wounded. How did I cut myself? On a knife? Had I slid my hand across the sharp edge of metal? I, I must have, but I hadn't felt anything. It's on your clothes, too, my wife said softly. She was behind me. Before looking at her, I looked down at the crimson spots on my robe. For the longest time, I stood over the basin, staring at my hand. And somehow I knew... "'that my life was to be forever altered. "'Shall I go with you to tell the priest?' she said. "'No,' I sighed. "'I'll go alone.' "'I turned and looked into her moist eyes. "'Standing next to her was my daughter. What, "'What could I even say? "'Well, five years have passed, "'and no one has touched me since until today. "'The priest didn't touch me. "'He looked at my hand, now wrapped in a rag. "'He looked at my face.' now sadder than sorrow. I've never faulted him for what he said. He was only doing as he'd been instructed. He covered his mouth and extended his hand palm forward. You are unclean, he told me. And with that one pronouncement, I lost my family, my farm, my future, and my friends. My wife met me at the city gates with a sack of clothing, bread and some coins. She didn't speak. By now, friends had gathered. What I saw in their eyes was a precursor to what I've seen in every eye since. Fearful pity. As I stepped out, they stepped back. The horror they felt as a result of my disease overtook their concern for my heart. You know, the the ancient East isn't the only culture that isolates They're wounded, right? Now we may not build colonies or cover our mouths in Newmarket, but we build walls, don't we? We avoid eye contact. Bet you the divorced know this feeling, don't they? I bet the handicapped know this feeling. The unemployed have have felt it. Um, The less educated. How about the gay community? They felt it. Single moms have felt it. Sometimes we keep our distance from um, depressed people. Or we avoid the terminally ill. Or we have whole neighborhoods for immigrants. And homes for the elderly. And schools for the mentally challenged. And centers for the addicted. Prisons for criminals. And I mean, who are the untouchables in Canada in 2019? I don't know, necessarily. I, I, can't, I can't even necessarily answer that for you. Is it the homeless? Those who have AIDS? Um, the sex worker? And, and needless to say, we as Canadians don't have a stellar record in our treatment of our indigenous people. I wonder wonder if for many of us, that reservation that is only 45 kilometers away might as well be on the other side of the world in terms of how we relate to and reach out to that population, a population, by the way, that is created in the very image of God. I don't necessarily know who the untouchable might be for you. It It might be different. But I think it's a question we lot to wrestle with. Only God really knows how many are living quiet, lonely, fearful lives, fearful of another rejection. So they choose not to be touched at all rather than, than risking ever being touched again. Well, the leper story continues. Oh, how I... Repulsed those who saw me. Five years of leprosy left my hands gnarled. The tips of my fingers were missing, as were portions of an ear and my nose. At the sight of, of me, fathers grabbed their children, mothers covered their eyes, people pointed and stared. The rags on my body couldn't hide my sores, nor could the wrap on my face hide the rage in my eyes. I didn't even try to hide it. How many nights had I shaken my crippled fist at the sky? What did I do to deserve this? But there never came a reply. I grew so tired of it all, sleeping in the colony, smelling the stench, so tired of the bell I was required to wear on my my neck to warn people of my presence, as if I needed it. One glance and the announcements began, unclean, unclean. Several weeks ago, I dared walk the road to my village. I had no intent of entering. I only wanted to look upon my fields and gaze again upon my home, perhaps see the face of my wife. I didn't see her, but I saw some children playing in the pasture. Their faces were so joyful and their laughter so contagious that for a moment, for just a moment, I was no longer a leper. I was a father. I was a farmer, I was a man, infused with their happiness. I I stepped out from behind the tree and I straightened my back and I breathed deeply and and they saw me. Before I could retreat, they saw me, they screamed and they scattered. One lingered though behind the others. One paused and looked in my direction. I, I can't say for sure, but I think she was my daughter. I don't know, but I I think she was looking for her father. That look is what made me take this step today. Was it reckless? Of course it was risky. But what what did I have to lose? He calls himself God's son. Either he will hear my complaints and kill me, or accept my demands and heal me. Those were my thoughts. I came to him as a defiant man, moved not by faith, but by desperate, anger. It felt like God had wrought this calamity on my body, and he would either fix it or end it. But then I saw him. It was when I saw him that I remembered. You must remember, I'm a farmer, not a poet, so I cannot find the words to describe what I saw. All I can say is that the Judean mornings are sometimes so fresh, and the sunrise so glorious, that to look at them is to forget the heat from the day. Before, and the hurt from times past. When I looked at his face, I saw a Judean mourning. Before he spoke, I knew he cared. Somehow, I I even knew he hated this disease as much or as more than I did. My rage became trust, and my anger became hope. I waited until he was just paces from me, and I stepped out. Master? Master? He stopped and looked in my direction, as did dozens of others. A flood of fear swept across the crowd. People's arms flew in front of their faces. Children ducked behind their parents. Unclean! Someone shouted. And I don't blame them. I was a huddled mass of death. But I scarcely heard them. I scarcely saw them. I'd seen this panic a thousand times. His compassion, however... I had never seen before. Everyone stepped back except him. He stepped toward me. Toward me. Five years ago, my wife stepped toward me, and she was the last to do so. Now he did. I didn't move, I just spoke. Lord, you can make me clean if you will. Had he healed me with a word, I, I would have been thrilled. Had he cured me with a prayer, I would have rejoiced. But he wasn't satisfied with just speaking to me. He drew near to me. He touched me. Five years ago, my wife had touched me. No one's touched me since until today. I will, he said. So close that he had to whisper. Now be clean. And in in an instant... In a moment, I felt warmth where there had been numbness. I felt strength where there had been atrophy. My back straightened, my head lifted. He cupped his hands on my cheeks and drew me so near I could feel the warmth of his breath and see the wetness in his eyes, and he smiled. Don't tell anyone about this. Go and show yourself to the priest. So that's where I'm going. I will show myself to my priest and I will embrace him. I will show myself to my wife. And I will embrace her. I will pick up my daughter. She's older now, but I will pick her up and I will embrace her. I will never forget the one who dared to touch me. He could have healed me with a word, but he wanted to do more than heal me. He wanted to honor me, to validate me, to christen me. Imagine that. Unworthy of the touch of man, yet worthy of the touch of God. You know we don't we don't know the full degree of leprosy uh, that this man had, but if the Bible says he was full of leprosy, you know, chances are he had lost several body parts. Definitely, lips, probably whole limbs, and then he falls to his knees, and Jesus says, "I will, I want to make you clean," and bam, you know nose, limbs. Um, I'm just imagining here, but like, it's just... But before we kind of bury the lead, the real story here is not just that Jesus healed the leper. Maybe the real story here was that Jesus touched the man. Jesus... Jesus' touch didn't heal the disease, right? You know, Matthew is very careful to mention in the text that it was the pronouncement, not the touch of Jesus that healed the disease. It came with these words, I will be clean. And you know, Jesus could have easily have said that from 20 yards away, 50 yards away, 100 yards away. But could it be that the healing of this man's heart came with the touch of Jesus' hand. And, and you know, Jesus touched many people when he healed them. We, Peter's mother-in-law was healed when Jesus touched her hand, and he, and he touched eyes of blind men and healed them. He put his fingers in the ear of a deaf man and healed him. He, he touched the lifeless hand of a, a girl on her deathbed and raised her from the dead. Jesus, Jesus touched many people that he healed, He didn't have to. Um, All Jesus had to do was speak the word and people would be healed. In fact, in in Luke 7, Jesus didn't even need to be in the same town when he healed a little girl at a centurion's house. He just said the word. So why touch this man? This man who was deformed by such a horrible disease when he, he really didn't have to. Well, in the Mark account of the same story, it adds a little piece here. It says, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. You know, the English uh, Standard Version, the ESV, says it this way. Moved with pity, he touched him. There, there was something this man needed more that perhaps the others didn't. More than just physical healing. He needed He needed human touch. And Jesus offered the ministry of touch, partly because nobody else would. Touching people was one of the most basic ways that Jesus, who got in the flesh, we sang it this morning, the the glory of ages stepped down from glory. Um, It's one of the most basic ways that Jesus could tell people he loved them, that he cared for them that he had pity on them for what they had suffered in this world. Touching, I think, is one of the most basic expressions of love. It creates a connection between the ones who are touched and the ones that you touch. I I don't know if you're familiar with the five love languages. For those of you who are, just for kicks, how how many would say your first or second love language is physical touch? Yeah. Yeah. It's important, isn't it? You feel loved that way and and as I say this um, even as I say the word touch i'm I'm angry at what the Lord has created for good as a gift that the devil has taken and skewed and used for evil. you know this connotation of touch leaves probably many feeling icky like. Ooh, I don't want to be touched. That sounds inappropriate. You know, we warn our kids, and rightly so, about touching. And, and, and every touch can end up sounding creepy. There's so many rules for coaches and volunteers and, and teachers. And again, I'm not saying we shouldn't. Uh, that's the world we live in, right? But I'm angry that evil has stolen something meant for our good. We used to sing a song in church um, from the Gaithers called He Touched Me. Does anybody remember that song? He touched me. Oh, he touched me. I mean, in 2019, that wouldn't fly so well, I don't think. It's like the millennials would be like, that's creepy, creepy (laughs) hymn, pastor. But in all seriousness, I suspect there are people in this room who have experienced... um, a wicked touch an assault touch abuse and you don't want to be touched because of what was stolen from you and yet you long for authentic loving healing touch we know that there has there has been this thing that has even happened in the church horrible stories usually involving the most innocent and most vulnerable, and many, including people in my extended family who have felt the betrayal that comes when a a trusted church leader abuses touch. And I gotta say, there will be a judgment for those people one day. Some of you have experienced the hand of of a violent touch, None is more hurtful than the kind that comes from someone who is supposed to love you and protect you. But can I ask you this morning not to be unwise, not to be undiscerning, especially in light of the kind of world that we live in, but would you be open, um, open to the power of a godly touch, of a healing touch? I mean, have you felt... Have you felt someone reach out and take your hand? Um, A physician, an elderly saint, um, a mentor, a listener, and that healing, that affirmation, that acceptance that comes from a ministering touch. Oh, there's something powerful about it. And when you touch those people who feel untouchable, uh, it's like... It's like you're the hands of Jesus himself, touching others. I want to invite the band to come back. And I know we've, um, I know in our past we've had a few fingers wagged at us. How long has it been since somebody reached out and put a hand on your shoulder and said, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to encourage you, when someone, you know, takes the time to, to touch you, it's almost you can sense something traveling through their fingerprints. You know, it's perhaps why when we anoint in the New Testament, when we commission in the New Testament, it's always with the laying on of hands, right? Not that we put any power in mere skin and bones, but it pleases God, I think, when God's people authentically lovingly appropriately touch God's people there's power in a godly touch and since we are called to imitate the love of Jesus since we are called to be people of love if we're going to learn to love like Jesus loved if Jesus has left the building and we're on mission with him we need to discern how to wisely lovingly Touch others because Jesus has touched us. That would be that would be such a a gift to some people. That you would ask their permission. Oh man, it sounds like you're going through something rough. Could I just put my hand on your shoulder and could I pray for you right now? Because there'd be something really healing about that. But you can't give something that you haven't been given yourself. You can't model something that you haven't experienced yourself. See, until Jesus touched you, or until until Jesus touches you, you can't bring that healing to others. And so today, you may need a touch from Jesus, a touch of healing, a touch of forgiveness. That's why we offer this, this time after the service in the boardroom. Here's what we're going to sing in just a moment. The one who does the impossible is reaching out to make me whole. Amen. Will you stand with me?